let's jump in. So it's December, and so that means we get to start Advent. And so we had our reading earlier uh, this morning, and so we're going to be going over Advent the next four weeks. Now, if you're new to the church or you don't come from a church background, you may not know what Advent is. Advent is pretty much a celebration, a, a tradition which reminds us of the coming of our Lord and in, in the, in the birth of Jesus. And uh, it started what many believe in the fourth century, and it started with just one Sunday kind of celebrating that, and it grew to four Sundays. And so now today in the 21st century, we celebrate Advent over, over, four, over the four Sundays prior to Christmas uh, to, to remind us of the birth of Jesus, to celebrate that, and to help us orient to what we need to um, as we continue to follow Christ. So for many, Advent is the start of the Christian year. For others, it's a reminder of, of why we're actually here on earth. Um, but as I said, for all of us, there needs to be an orientation to who we are as, as, as followers of Christ. So December and Advent seem to give us a unique opportunity. Um, for some, it's a time of year to reflect. For some, December is a time of year to, to look forward. Um, for some, it's a time of year that's just no different, and you're just kind of getting through. For some, it's a time of year full of joy, some fraught with pain, or still some just still with indifference. So wherever you are right now, this morning, in this season, let this be a time to draw closer to the one who drew so very close to us. Let's, uh, let's open up in Philippians. So this is going to be kind of our, our main passage throughout the entire series. And uh, we're only going to focus on a couple parts of it today, but I want to give, give the whole thing. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Okay. So, we're looking at this season what it is for, for, for God to manifest through the Son, Jesus, and, and, and the humility that takes. And, and it reminds me of about 13 years ago, I was, I was playing at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. And uh, it was, that day was just pretty much everything I could have hoped it was. I mean, I just, I loved every part of that day. Um, and it's something that's just kind of ingrained into my memory. So you should know something about me. Uh, growing up where I grew up, I don't really get, like, starstruck. 
you know, seeing some famous person doesn't really like, yeah, it doesn't really get to me. I'm like, oh, cool, because you see it all the time you know, in, 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 California, in, in L.A. But this day, something else happened. I'm, I, I'm coming off the stage after playing, and out from the trailer that I was just in comes a guy named Herbie Hancock. Now, if you don't know who Herbie Hancock is, <laughs> let me tell you. This dude changed the face of music. We would not have the music we have if it wasn't for Herbie Hancock. He used to have a band called the Headhunters. Like, <coughs> um, talking about like, all the things about like Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock was in that band. It was, he was uh, foundational to, um, to to, to a lot of things that we have today. And so for me, he was basically my hero. Like, the way he composed, the way he played, everything he did, I mean, he was just everything. I mean, this guy played with the Chicago Symphony when he was 12 years old. Like, this is the kind of person he was. And so here he comes, just moseying on, and comes right next to me. He's like, hey, man. I was like, hey, hey, Herbie. How you doing? He's like, oh, I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm um, good. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm like, all right, just be cool. Just be cool. Just relax. It's just Herbie Hancock having a conversation with you like it's nothing. <laughs> and he was like, oh, were you playing today? Like I was an equal. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we, we, we played at, at the beginning of the day. We, we opened up. And he's like, oh, man. I wish I could have seen that. I was like, really? <laughs> you wanted to see me play? You want to see us play? It was with Southern. And he's like, yeah, man, that would have been great. And we were just like talking for 20 minutes. And he was just the kindest, gentlest soul and just the coolest dude you would just ever meet. Just hanging out with some nobody. And I will forever and always remember that moment. There's, some, there's something about people who are larger than life in our culture, but as humble as can be. Like, what is it about those people who are like that? I think it's something that reminds, they have a trait that reminds us of Jesus, who had equality with God and chose not to use it and come down. You see, because it was that day that I had never felt so validated felt such, I mean, he treated me like an equal. There is something that happens in our identity and, and in who we are when we look at the birth of Christ that reminds us how much we're worth in his eyes and the hope that, that gives us every day. Let's look at Matthew 1.22. All this took place. Nope, doesn't want to work. Hold on. Go to the next slide for me. Got it. Okay. So all this took, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This Emmanuel has a, has a very deep meaning. And... Um, it's actually really interesting because this name, Emmanuel, had a different 
translation and different meaning in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, they would say Emmanuel, and it was God saying, I am with you. God would say this to Israel when they were in a state of fear or vulnerability. God would say, I am with you, Emmanuel. When they were going through a significant challenge, he would say, I am with you. In the prophecy of Isaiah, and then here in the birth of Jesus, this name shifts. And it becomes not just God saying, I am with you, but an understanding and an awareness that, wait a minute, God is with us. God is with me. Imagine for a moment embracing both understandings of this word. Imagine God whispering into your ear, I am with you, in the light and even in the darkest places. But also imagine accepting and realizing that he is actually with me. Now, I imagine many of you know how to ride a bike, yes? So do you, do you remember when you first learned how absolutely scared you were? <laughs> and you're just like, all right, got this thing with two wheels that's trying to kill me. I don't want to do this, but they're making me do this. All right. So we're like, get on the bike. And you're like, hey, you're going to, okay. And it's just like, whoever it is, mom, dad, uncle, whatever, saying, I'm with you. Right? And you're like, okay. And it gives you the courage to start, like, take that first pedal. And then you actually get into it, right? And, and you're still wobbling, but then you have, and then you, like, kind of fall, and they catch you. And you have this sense of, oh, you, you are with me. I'm okay. I'm safe. I can keep going. Like, this is God with us. We get to hear him say, I am with you, but then we get to experience it. God with us in the Son, Jesus, can affect our reality of God. See, God is not a philosophical being. And for, I think for many times in the, in, with, with, in the church and with Christians and, and, and all over, God can be this philosophical being, this, this idea. But there's a tangibility to him. There's a realness to him. He's also not this transcendent existence solely in the cosmos. And we have that expression too where, we're just, where it's, just, it's, it's all about just kind of this uh, uh, ephemeral experience of God. But he's so much more than that. He's a loving, caring king who chose to reveal himself in the most humble of ways. He's Pops that says, hey, I'm with you. There are a lot of words that describe Jesus in Scripture. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, king of kings. Yet he entered into the world to come and be with us in a way that didn't reflect the names that he was identified with. During that time in the first century, your status, your importance was determined by your power, your dominance, your control, and your influence. It's much different now in the 21st century. No, it's not. And today, your status is determined by your power, your worth, your dominance, your influence, your control. 
And yet Jesus arrived in the most vulnerable and powerless form and fashion he possibly could. Everything around us tells us that power is the way. And so what happens when we don't have power control, whether because of circumstance or because it was taken for us, we, we generally have a couple different paths we go. For some, they take power. For others, they withdraw into fear, worry, and anxiety. Not just in big ways, but, it, but in small things as well. And so when our lives are guided by power or the lack of it, these are kind of the, the, the only responses we have. So what if there's another way? What if life isn't guided by power or the lack of it? What if our life is guided by how we relate to humanity and our humility? It's this humility that produces that which surrounded the birth of Jesus and his impact on earth. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And this Christmas season should remind us of that humility. You see, living humbly can produce transformation in our lives. Because it, it, it gives us a correct understanding of ourselves, which is really important, because that understanding of ourselves guides everything we do. Because, you know, we can address the shortcomings. We don't dismiss them. We don't feel guilty about them. We just, we just look at them for what they are, and we submit them to Christ. And in that, we're able to put others before ourselves. We're able to treat people with compassion because we know who we are. We don't have to get over on people. With humility, arrogance gives way to confidence. See, often we go to the extremes. We go to the polars. Instead of arrogance, we, we, we self-deprecate. And we have, you know, we, 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 we live in humiliation. And so we think, and we, and we call that humility, and that's not what it is. And so instead of going to the extremes, what humility does is it doesn't give way for, for, for arrogance or, or self-deprecation. It gives way for us for confidence, knowing that we are fallible, human, and broken, but confident in our identity in Christ, which is whole and right. When we walk in humility, pride gives way to grace. When often we try to exist on either extreme. Because on one extreme we have self-righteousness and the other self-loathing. Walking humbly gives us the opportunity to understand that it's God's grace that makes us good enough while also having the grace for others who are walking this life doing the best they can and not demanding some perverted sense of holiness. That's what pride does. That's hypocrisy. But humility allows us to, to, to be true in that. You see, it's a unique intersection of frailty and strength. Brokenness, yet made whole. And this is the goal. It's this transformation that allows us to elevate others above ourselves, as we see in that scripture. Let's look at uh, Philippians 2, 3, I mean, look, verse 3, sorry. Do nothing out of selfish ambition nor vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's really hard. And it doesn't come naturally. 
which is why I think Paul phrased it this way, is because we have to practice humility in order to value others above ourselves, in order to make way for others, in, uh, in, in, in order to look for the interests of others before our own. Like we got to practice it. This comes as you are finding encouragement and comfort and hope in Christ, not through self-effort. Because we've we, we, we tried doing it the self-effort way. We've we tried that for a long time now. Working in our will alone doesn't work. Ask any addict, and they'll tell you. And I've had my own, so trust me, I can, I can tell you from experience. There has to be something where we engage with the humility of Christ that gives us the power to actually walk in the same way. Look at verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so Paul here, as he's talking to Philippians, is, as he's, he's talking about kind of Jesus' birth. Let's, let's look at Luke 1. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So what does this teach us? Jesus entered into this world in the humblest way, yet he was placed at the pinnacle of God's kingdom. And he demonstrated what's to come. So what this teaches us is that the road to real, lasting strength and hope is paved with humility. Weakness leads to strength. Walking in humility like Jesus did springs up a hope in us that is beyond ourselves and our present environment. Hope has to be worked out. It has to be stretched and must be developed like a muscle. It doesn't just happen, nor do we, because if we just, like, sometimes we, like, we have hope because we know we're, like, we're supposed to have hope, but it doesn't, Hope doesn't just occur. It, 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 we, need to, we need to work it out. We need to develop it. And, and, and this particular hope I'm talking about is, is like a, a proper hope. And we, and we don't want this false hope that is there just out of like religious obligation. Like that's just, that's exhausting. You know, in Genesis 37, one of my favorite stories about a guy named Joseph we see his story as he, uh, as a Hebrew, led the large empire of Egypt, which is really interesting because the Egyptians really looked down as Hebrews as like less than people. <laughs> like they really looked down on them. And so, and yet there's this Hebrew leading the whole nation. And so he led them and Israel during a severe famine and just really provided hope for the entire empire. What's funny is we see the origins of this story beginning in the most vulnerable of places. Joseph's story started out with him as a slave and then moved forward to him as a prisoner. The pinnacle of walking in the kingdom starts in the lowest places. True and proper hope depends on humility. Without a humble foundation, our source of hope that which we put our hope on usually ends up coming from our circumstances and or things that we can control. 
say that one more time. Without a humble foundation, everything we put our hope on comes from our circumstances or that which we can control. Without humility, when I look at someone I admire or want to be like, my hope lives in the events and objectives that would put me in a position to have what they have or to be who they are. With humility, when I look at someone I admire or want to be like, my hope lives in the eternal God. And those character traits of the person I admire drive me closer to God. And he creates in me those things that reflect him. And all the while will provide the contentment that I need. A contentment of who I am and where I am. And I don't have to manufacture anything. It doesn't mean I don't need to grow or want to grow or move forward. It means that the advancement and the trajectory of my life is not determined by what the world has said is important or what's in me. It's determined by heaven and what God says. So I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit more, this idea through kind of some of my own journey. So when I was in college, I really admired this guy named James Horner. Um, James Horner is a, uh, he's a film composer, and uh, so he's the guy that did Titanic and Avatar. Um, and I mean, his music had a large impact on a lot of people, right, all over the world. And, and I, loved, I loved that about him. Like everyone, like not a lot of people talk about like, film music, like they just talk about the film. James Horner's one of those guys where people like, well, I should talk about <laughs> his music because <laughs> it was so good. And it had a tremendous impact on me, just the way he wrote, everything he wrote, like it just, it, like it spoke to me. But it was more than that. Even his life, I'm just like, man, this dude's got it made. So when he went to go work on Avatar, 20th Century Fox bought him and his team a house to use for the whole year that they were working on Avatar. And so he got to just wake up, write music in the house that he was living in that his uh, company bought, and just write music all day. And then for, for Avatar, he went to USC to meet with his linguist professor, and they came up with a new language for, um, for, what, for, for the score of what the choir was singing in that movie. I'm like, dang, that's awesome. This dude's got the life. You got to make up languages. You get to write whatever you want. You get to like make music for movies that like are transcendent in our culture. Like he had everything, and I loved everything about what he did. And I wanted that. And at the time, I was like I said, I was in college for music, and 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 soon after, I started composing music. Um, And but I was like at at the low level, you know. And 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 I wanted to, to to be there. And I was, you know, I'm a, I was a good Christian, so I was like, well, you know, if I'm not like that, that's okay. But, you know, somewhere around there, you know, maybe like just a little bit lower, you know. I don't have to be James Horner. I don't need that. You know, I'm good with wherever God takes me, right? But my hope rested on every opportunity that would get me there. Every time I got filled up like, yes! And hope, it made it. I got it. We're in. And then I don't get a job for six months. I'm like, oh. And hope dwindled at every opportunity that I lost. I get an audition, and, and we'd have, it'd be like 10 composers, and it's down to two. I'm like, yes. And, and, and flying high, 
I'm good. And then I lose it and go to that other person. And I'm shattered and I'm crushed. And hope is nowhere to be found. And it was like that for years. That, that's, not, that's not a hope in God. I would have the most hope in the things that I couldn't control. It's what I like to call fake Christian hope. So fake Christian hope is you have a situation and you have these circumstances that are so far beyond your control, you're like, I trust God. I know he orders my steps and he knows my ways and I have all the hope and the faith in the world. Yeah, because you ain't got no other choice. Right? Yes, it's easy to have hope for things when you, when you can't control them. It's much harder to, have, to, to maintain hope in the things that you can control. And the things where you get to actually make your own decisions and, and set your own path to actually have a hope when something doesn't work out. You know, throughout this journey, like the reality is that God put this in me. He put he puts this desire to, to create in me, and, and it's of him. And, and, and to make whatever impact it is, small or medium or large or whatever it is. But my hope was not in him and his ultimate purpose. I would say that it is. If you ask me that, I would say, yes, absolutely, my hope is in God and what he wants for my life. But in the actual day-to-day, and, and like part of me believed that and thought that, in reality, in the actual day-to-day, it wasn't. It was that roller coaster. My hope was in the events and the circumstances and the objectives that would get me to where I wanted to be. My hope was in my pride that I wanted to be more than what I was. It actually affected the way that I, I wrote music because I was so trying so hard to prove myself. And before I knew it, this thing that I was passionate about and loved to do was fraught with strife and pressure and stress and disappointment and ultimately an invalidation of who I was as a person. Besides the fact that most of what I did during that time just wasn't good because I wasn't doing it in the light of God. So things began to change when I began to humble myself to the point of realizing that I am not, nor am I entitled to the person I dreamed up in my head. I am who God made me to be. I compose and my music has the impact that it has and nothing more. And I'm okay with that. And as I did that, my hope shifted. Now it was God and his purposes for the world and however he wanted me to play a part of that. That's, that's kind of like what a lot of our hope is. As Christians, are like, all right, I want to go here. God, I need you to get on the train. I need you to make this happen so we can get from here to here. And so to actually go from there to shift and say, you know what? I'm here. Where are you going? Let me jump on that train, and let's go there. That's what humility has to do in our lives. Then I could write the music that was in me, that God put there, that was an expression of him. Then it was fun again. And I wasn't doing it out of who I was trying to be or what I was supposed to be. And I began to find true contentment, true joy 
And wherever it ended up, and it, it ended up, and it's, and it's fine. It's all good. Now, this didn't happen overnight. It was a long journey, but absolutely worth it. And this thing is one that I've had, I've had to do over and over again in, like, all these different areas of my life. Like, that's just one area. That wasn't, like, my whole life. That, that was just one area. And I have to do it over and over again, even to the point of, like, today. Like, there, there are areas where I'm like, I want to do or be this, and I have to recognize my pride and say, okay, let's come back here. What are you doing right here, God? And that's hard. Pride does not die easily, <laughs> let me tell you. It doesn't. It will not go gently into that good night. <laughs> it will fight. Hope creates an expectation of good and a sense of connection to a future we cannot see. Hope isn't just for the hardest of times. It's an orientation that God wants good, works toward good, and lives through us for his good. Celebrating the birth of Christ reminds us that the way to strength is vulnerability. This event reminds us that God is in fact with us and operates through us, and that all of this results in a hope that rests in the future but lives in the present. It's a hope in the future, but lives in the present. It's a hope that shapes our identity and a hope that brings fulfillment that no thing, no job, no person, no environment, no circumstance, no status could ever bring. All right, let's look at some practical tips. Examine what this time of year means to you. Journal or share with a friend the role hope plays in your life and in your expectations. Respond in heart and action, shifting your hope through humility. All right, so we, we had that full pass earlier. I only want you to just focus on this one scripture this week. Slowly read Philippians 2, 6 at the start of each day this week. Just slowly. And just let it get into you. We have many opportunities through the week to get what we want using our strengths, advantages, or entitlement. Make a conscious decision to put someone else first. For extra credit? Put someone else first you really, really don't like. You get an extra 10 points. <laughs> 